Hello and welcome. You're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. We're all into compost, and if you're not into compost, get with the program. Today, with Dr. Frank Gowen from the Annapolis, Maryland area. Dr. Francis R. Gowen is a nationally and internationally recognized scientist and extension specialist in the area of ornamental and environmental horticulture. He pioneered the development of the structureless thermo blanket system for overwintering container-grown ornamentals. And if you visit container-growing nurseries in the winter, you often see these row covers. Well, his interest is mostly compost, compost made from different feedstocks uh, for the production of nursery and greenhouse crops. Dr. G, as the Annapolis gardeners call him, authored or co-authored 26 papers in scientific journals, 93 extension publications, two national bulletins, and 31 research abstracts. He wrote 95 featured articles in professional trade journals, presented 47 scientific papers at professional meetings, and authored 582 featured articles in extension newsletters, as well as having edited and published 88 issues of the Maryland Nurseryman's News. And a book of his works is about to be published, and we'll have something on the website about that. So we're going to talk about the virtues of using compost. Uh, he started using compost in 1972, and he's done probably more research than almost anyone on fine-tuning compost, on compost from different sources. He has a three-bin system in his own yard, which he's going to talk about, and uh, making compost out of available, especially yard waste, which is something we have an awful lot of in the autumn, is something that we all, we really all must do, and it's free. It's free gold for the garden. So join me with Dr. Gowen right now. My guest today is Frank Gowen, who is an expert in many things, and uh, he's actually Dr. Francis R. Gowen. Uh, he's nationally and internationally recognized as a scientist and an extension specialist, and also an expert in compost. And we're all more and more interested in compost, I hope. And it's kind of Dr. Gowen's mission to tell more people about compost. And maybe, Dr. Gowen, we should start with, or may I call you Frank? You can call me Frank. That's great. Frank, what is compost? Well, compost is organic matter, such as leaves and paper, cardboard, and that's organic that can be decomposed and goes back to its natural sources of lignans and nutrients. And um, many nutrients as, as compared to fertilizers. And this is one of the big advantages of compost. Well, uh, are all composts the same? No, no. The, the composts vary based on feedstocks that I use. I have over the years worked with surge sludge compost, lobster waste compost, crab waste compost, dead chicken compost, and garbage compost. Hmm. And uh, they're all different. They're very, very different. Uh, cranberry waste compost is very different from uh, biosolids compost. Uh, it got not only in the pH effect, but it's also different in nutrient concentration and lignin levels. Mm -hmm. Well, when you say lignin, you, that's like wood? Well, no, no. Lignin, when you look at wood, you're looking at uh, starches, cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignans. After the cellulose, uh, starches, cellulose, and hemicellulose are digested, the lignin fibers are the residues. The brown material that you see when a good compost, those are my, primarily all lignans. 
They're very hard to decompose because they're short branch chain compounds, and therefore they persist in the soil. Semicellulose and cellulose are generally digested and go off as carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Hmm. But what is left in a good compost is lignin. The hemicelluloses and celluloses are gone. Wow. Well, you have all these different composts, and I'm imagining that they have different, that they deliver different results for different yeah, plants. Yes, that they do. For instance, yard debris compost, which is what most people would be doing, leaves and grass clippings, are very, generally very high in potassium. I have about one, one to one percent, one to one and a quarter percent nitrogen and very little phosphorus. As compared to a surge such compost, which has probably two or three percent nitrogen, probably three to four percent phosphorus, and low levels of potassium. Uh, also, the trace element differences are great. Uh, Biosolids compost are made of surge sludge, which contains very high levels of essential trace elements, as compared to yard debris compost, uh, which is collected locally, will have about the same nutrient content as the vegetation which it comes from. Mm. And I imagine that the fungal content and the bacteria content in the compost are different, too. Well, bacteria is the first organism to attack a compost pile. When you start composting, the bacteria are the first organism to get in there and digest the sugars and the proteins and amino acids. Uh, and then move the fungi move in, uh, and they do their thing, and they get rid of the celluloses, uh, and then the actinomyces are the ones that finish off the compost and digesting the rest of the celluloses and the hemicelluloses. And therefore, what you have left at the end is very little bacteria, some fungi, but lots of actinomyces. Well, if you wanted to uh, acidify your soil or you know change the pH in any way, what are some of the compost ingredients you might use if you wanted to lower the pH or raise the pH to make the soil more acidic or less acidic? Well, what's interesting about compost is that it has a neutralizing effect on pH. Uh, we have compost. I have composted one time. We did a study where we looked at nothing but oak leaves. Surprisingly enough, the pH of the compost was 6.2. And, and when you look at uh, compost and sewage sludge, the uh, biosolids, if it's lime dewatered, it will have a pH of as high as 7.8. If it's polymer dewatered, it will have a pH down around 7.2. Uh, so therefore, uh, the uh, most acidic material that I ever worked with was cranberry waste compost from Ocean Spray up in New Jersey. We had to actually add lime to that compost to get it started. But once it started, it composted down to, to approximately 6.8. The most alkaline compost material that I ever worked with was the waste of gelatin manufacturing, which had a pH of 13. We had to add sulfuric acid to it to get it started, and when we got through it, it had a pH of 8. Wow. So composting has kind of a neutralizing effect on pH. Uh, and that's because of the humic acid and the fulvic acid that are in compost. Well, now, the humic acid and the folic acid, are those, you're not adding anything to make those happen. They, no. Right, I see. So, and, well, that's interesting because it, it's, it's not uh, determined necessarily by the source as to nope. what you end up with. Amazing. Right. Folic acid and humic acid are natural occurring organic compounds that occur in the decomposition of organic matter. Well, how do you 
build your compost? I mean, do you use piles or do you use bins or what do you do personally? Well, my, my compost bins, I do too. I have a neighbor over here who has horses, and therefore I compost their material for them using a front-end loader, and I use a single-stream system. And I, at the house of the garden, I have a three-bin composter, uh, which is the three bins made it surrounded by turkey wire, heavy-gauge turkey wire. And the first bin, the larger bin, was approximately five feet wide, uh, six feet deep, and five feet high. I, that's where I put in my, my leaves, my waste from the garden, and I always have compost on hand, so I put in a, about a 10 or 12-inch layer of leaves, and I put in about a one-inch layer of compost, and then I add a lot of water to it because leaves are very hard to wet. Mm. If, the leaf, if I have a lot of dry leaves, what I do is I take a pail full of water, put in about a quarter of a cup of dish detergent, cheap dish detergent in the water, stir it up, add a shovel full of compost or garden soil to that, and then I will sprinkle the compost liberally with that and then wet it down. Most people don't compost well because they don't get it wet. That's the important thing. It has to have moisture. So you're using the, the, the microorganisms come from the soil or from the compost. And you're using the dish detergent as a sticker spreader, kind of a surface tension breaker? Just, just a wetting agent. Right, right. And in a pail of water, how much dish detergent would you use, do you think? I'll put in about a quarter of a cup and do a 12-quart pail. Wow. Um, so... You have in your first bin, you have your fresh material. In your second bin, I guess you have the the intermediate material. And then the third bin is what you're going to take your compost out of? That's right. In the middle of the winter, matter of fact, I actually fill the middle bin and the side bin and the big end bin with the leaves and grass clippings and everything else because as the, comp the composting begins in the pile, the pile will settle. So eventually it all ends up into the first bin. Hmm. Then when that is pretty well settled down, uh, about February or March, I will move that into the middle bin because I have now reduced my volume, and the shoveling, the mixing, helps to break up the particles. It helps to aerate. There's one of the things that uh, becomes reduced is oxygen. Right. Composting is an aerobic process, and therefore turning it adds oxygen to the system. So you don't use any coarse material in a layer for oxygen? You're, you're mostly no, no, I just, just the leaves, just the leaves and the, and the compost and the soil, whatever it, com it comes in the garden. And you're inoculating the, comp the raw material, the vegetation, with the soil that, that you're using to introduce with the, the soil bacteria? Or with compost, or with compost. Uh -huh. With processed, finished compost. Right, from the pro pro compost from the third bin. I will use that as my inoculum. Great. Uh, so what do you do with the compost? And actually, what would you recommend for homeowners and home gardeners who are interested and in, everyone should be making compost? What? Ca how can they use the compost? What can they do with it? Well, I, I've never bought a bag of mulch in my life. I use compost. Mm -hmm. And I spread the compost in the service. I grow potatoes in my garden. And to reduce the infection of potato beetles, I actually heal my potatoes with compost. The potato beetles don't like it. <laughs> and I have very little, very little problem with potato beetles. And then the rest of the compost will generally be used as mulch. If I want to start a new garden, I will incorporate it into the soil, and that will be the beginnings of a new garden. But otherwise, it's used primarily, I use all of it as mulch or in, in the healing of potatoes, or then some, some of it is used in, in starting a new garden and soil incorporation. Why do you think the beetles don't like the mulch? 
Well, I've, I've asked that question to an entomologist who worked on potato beetle control, and he says potato beetles are, are very good in takeoff, but not very good in landing. So uh, therefore, when they, when they, oftentimes they miss the potatoes, but they walk back to the potato and climb up on the plant. If you leave, that the compost is still not fully matured. Now, there's still some leaves, still some twigs in there. Visibly, says they find that hard to climb up onto and move. They like a nice smooth surface. So therefore, he thinks the effect is strictly physical, and that uh, it doesn't allow. I don't allow the leaves of the potato plants to touch the ground, the soil. I keep them mounded. Up, sometimes I mound up to about 18 inches high. Keep always keeping the foliage off the soil, and they literally have to climb up that mound of compost to get to the plants, and they don't seem to like that. It discourages them. Mm. I'm speaking to Dr. Francis R. Goen. We're talking about compost today on Kendrew's Real Dirt, the Garden Show. We'll be right back. Thank you for staying with me. I'm Ken Drews. I'm your host for Ken Drews Real Dirt. And my guest today is Dr. Frank Gowan from the Annapolis area in Maryland. He's written several books and trade journals and extension publications and papers for scientific journals. And he's an expert in many areas and also the developer of a thermo blanket system for overwintering container-grown ornamental plants. And today we're talking about compost and deep inside compost but you mentioned dr gowan that you don't you weren't using fully matured compost for those potatoes for the mulch in that situation but what about uh, the normal mulch do you take the temperature do you are you trying to kill weed seeds and possible pathogens well if you have your compost moist and aerated you should be hitting temperatures of around 120 to 140 degrees uh, and you should be able to achieve that, especially in the fall of the year, then two to three weeks after you put the pile together. If you don't reach those temperatures, that means it's too dry. Hmm. And therefore, this, uh, it, it, this can be improved by adding some more water to it. Now, if you have no grass clippings and you have uh, to add the carbon-nitrogen ratio that you need, we like to get around a 35 to 1 carbon-nitrogen ratio, I will take and add some urea to the soil, to that solution of dish detergent and water and mud, I'll add a cup full of urea to that, dissolve it, and add that to the pile. Nitrogen is very important in the breakdown of the carbon because nitrogen is utilized by the microorganisms to build their bodies and reproduce. There is not enough nitrogen, uh, then the composting process slows down. So by Building up the nitrogen, you can do it with grass clippings, or you can do it with manures, uh, or, or you can do it with fertilizers. Mm -hmm. What happens is that the fertilizers are converted to an organic form of proteins and amino acids, and that results in the breakdown of the carbons and the release of the nutrients from the carbons. And how would you recommend that, that people use this? I mean, you, you talked about the potato and using it as a mulch, personally. Uh, how can you how can we encourage people to make compost you know i drive around the town and i see all those paper bags of leaves on the curb waiting to be picked up and i just want to scream <laughs> and those are the same people who are buying mulch you you must live in montgomery county no i'm in new jersey <laughs> you're in new jersey yeah. okay yeah uh, uh, i've encouraged municipalities to accept only paper bags 
with lesions, not plastic, because they're a big nuisance. Of course. I've worked with these big composting operations, and plastic is a nuisance when it comes to composting. I, I encourage people to, to compost because the benefits of compost are far superior to peat moss. You see people go out and put all their leaves at the road and then go out and buy a bale of peat moss. Right, peat right. moss is nothing but washed out organic matter. There's no nutrients in it. Right. It's very acid. It has a pH of around 3.5 to 3.8. And, and, and here you have in compost, you have a pH around 6.5 up to 8, depending on what it's made from. You have a tremendous source of organic nutrients, slow-release nutrients. You get tremendous improvement of soils that last because peat moss is mostly hemicellulose and cellulose. Compost is lignin. It stays in the soil for up to seven to eight years before it finally disappears. Mm -hmm. So you get this long residual effect. And some of the research we did at the State Forest Nursery back in the 70s, we put down compost and we measured the effects of seven years for a single application. Seven years. You can see the difference. Amazing. And you don't do that with peat moss. Peat moss will last about not quite one year in the soil. Right. Then it's gone. And it, uh, it squeezes out the oxygen. It's hard to re-wet. There's, yeah. there's nothing good about it, <laughs> unless you're growing yeah. cranberries in a pot. <laughs> well, and, and people get go gaga over peat moss. They got to be going gaga over compost. Well, yep. and, and the benefits of the compost of this high lignin content is that it, it helps to, it helps, simply helps to uh, improve aeration in the soil. Right. It reduces the bulk density. With peat moss, it's there and it's gone. The bulk density returns back to its normal state in less than a year. Well, that's something that you are mentioning is making me think of something else, which is I, I wish that there was a way to buy compost. And I know that a lot of municipalities make it, and some of them even give it away. But it's not always the same. Well, it's, there's no consistency. I've seen – I once saw a truckload of compost delivered to a nursery, and a bicycle fell out of it. So, you know, that's not good. I wish there was, a, you know, some national companies making great compost, maybe fine-tuned compost that people could go and buy, perhaps shrink-wrapped and, and squeezed with some of the moisture out of it or something, and then they could rehydrate uh, it. But uh, I mean, they're shipping peat moss in trucks all over the country, it costs so much in fuel. It's not a, really a renewable resource like compost is. Certainly, it's not as quick to renew. But why do you think this isn't catching on? Why don't? Why do you think companies aren't packaging compost? Well, you you have. There's a company up in Portland, Maine. I worked with them back in the early '70s. The compost lobster waste. Mm -hmm. That one is being shipped all over the country. Oh, really? Uh, you have in Maryland. You have uh, leaf grow, which is a, a yard debris compost. And that is being shipped all over the area. Uh, up in uh, uh, Maine, you have another company uh, 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 that's making a uh, yard debris compost up in uh, Vermont and down, and they're, they're shipping it all over the place. You have some good companies coming in. You get Orgro uh, up here in Baltimore that can't make biosolids compost fast enough. Their warehouses are empty, wow. uh, and, they're, and, they're, and they're shipping it. Anybody who makes a good compost, is, the materials coming out. Uh, when I work with Disney World, I did consult. I set up their composting system at Disney World, and they use 85% of what they generate. And they gen they make over 100 tons of. They get 100 tons of material per day for composting, 
in the Disney World complex. Right. So, but they use, but that fifteen percent is gone in no time flat. They call it Mickey Muck. <laughs> Mickey Muck. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But but no, you you've got some companies out there making combos. We had a company that's going to start up again. Maryland Environmental Services is taking over Chesapeake Green and Chesapeake Blue. Chesapeake Blue is made out of crab waste uh, compost. I helped that get started. Then it went out. Now it's coming back in again. And then Chesapeake Green is chicken manure compost. And and those are excellent. They were excellent compost. They just change location and they're, they're get undergoing. There should be a good supply of it this spring. That's great. And on the, in, in, in California, uh, I worked with Rainbow Farms in California. That's a chicken manure compost operation. And and that used uh, farm waste from dairy farm and chicken manure, and uh, they produce they can't produce enough to bag it. It all goes out wholesale. Well, that's that's the problem. Maybe there's not not enough people making it. If I well, I have very sandy soil and it's alkaline, and I would like to fine tune my compost a little bit. Uh, and you said it it pretty much neutralizes it, but there's a big difference between 6.5 and 7.5. <laughs> And I, yeah. I wonder if I wanted to slightly acidify or somewhat acidify my compost to help my soil, which is alkaline, uh, what would you recommend that I use as the initial oh. ingredients? Okay. Well, if, I had, if you can get your organic matter level up to 5% and above, pH has less an effect on iron availability, zinc availability, copper availability. The lower, the less organic matter you have in the soil, the more critical pH is. The higher the level of organic matter, the less critical. If I had powers in your shoes, I would use a 50-50 mixture of compost and pine pines. Pine pines have a pH of 3.8. And in cases like I have worked for you with landscape architects, where we have an alkaline soil and we want to lower it, I use a, I'll put down four to six cubic yards of, of, um, of the mixture, 50-50, three yards of compost, three yards of pine pine. Mixed together, and the pine pines will lower the pH naturally. Well, you got to tell me what pine pines are. Okay, in the screening of pine mark, pine bark mulch, the first screening comes out as nuggets, mm-hmm. pine nuggets. Then you get pine mulch, and then you have pine pines I see. at the bottom of the screen. And landscape contractors and nurseries like pine pines for exactly that purpose. I've worked with our growers here, and therefore they buy out just about all the pine pines in this area because we use it as a natural way of lowering pH. Sometimes I have to use iron sulfate to add to it if the pH is much too high. If it's above 8, I have to use iron sulfate along with the pine pines. But other than that, I use pine pines in combination with compost to lower the pH. And what about the opposite? What if somebody has too much too acid as soil? Okay, two acids soil, and that way we either add lime, and then depending on how low the pH, if the pH is below 5.5, you, you can't do it all with compost. You're going to have to add lime to it. Mm-hmm. If the pH is, is, is 5.5 and above, then you can, you can do a pretty dang good job with a, a yard debris compost has a pH of around 7.2. Uh, a uh, biosolids compost will have a pH around around 7.6 sometimes. depends on how they make it, if it's lime dewater or polymer dewater. Uh, like um, in, in New Jersey, uh, down down in um, off the point, down along the shore, 
there's a composting facility there that does use some lime dewater and some polymer dewater, and their pH is that runs approximately seven five. Well, uh, we're just about out of time, and I want to thank you so much for joining me. And is there anything else you'd like to just say to people? Or I tell people, once you start gardening with compost, you'll never want to go back to any other way because it solves so many problems. You are absolutely right, and I want to thank you again for being my guest. My guest has been Frank, Dr. Frank Gowen, and we've been talking about mm, fine-tuning compost and compost, and, of course, everybody should should make compost, especially in the fall when the leaves are falling. Don't bag them and put them on the curb. Recycle them. It's free. Free good compost for the garden. Thank you again, Dr. Gowen. You're welcome. I hope that Frank Gowen inspired you to go out and make a compost bin or compost pile or add to ones that you already have with perfectly available garden waste right now. It's a great way to give back to the environment and give back to the garden. <laughs>